I think when you are really good at building relationships with the people that you are serving and building trust, um, people will just start implementing you into their everyday decision making. Hi, I'm June Castlemere, and you're listening to In the Pocket, a podcast brought to you by the National Filipino American Lawyers Association. So this episode is the last of four that we were able to record in Austin last November during the Infala and Napaba annual conventions. It's with Christine Pompa, who currently leads the intellectual property team at Yeti. Now, what was initially just a conversation between two Panay in-house lawyers has turned out to have more meaning these days. As many of us are sheltering in place to keep ourselves and others safe, we miss in-person conversations with others outside of our immediate households. Now is something that we're learning to value because it's largely absent from our lives. While we found new ways to connect, be it Zoom or TikTok, there just isn't anything that helps you uncover wisdom and connection like a plain old in-person conversation. Now, putting aside the fact that Christine's story of how she met her husband, Phil, is possibly the cutest thing ever, as she continues weaving the details of her life throughout our interview, you start to understand that her story is ultimately one of keen self-awareness. I'm looking forward to the time when she and I, along with our other Enfala family members, can gather in groups, whether large or small, to celebrate our friendships and connection. Jonah, Heidi, and I will see you very, very soon. But for now, we hope you enjoy this one-to-one conversation with someone near, dear, and very much admired. So I'm sitting down with Christine Pompa, who recently moved here to Austin, Texas from Chicago and is a fellow Panay in-house attorney. Workwise, Christine is currently director for intellectual property at Yeti Coolers. So Christine, it's no secret that dancing is something that is very near and dear to us Filipinos, but when you were younger, you were a huge participant in the arts in general. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, you know, outside of the the weekend family parties where everybody would dance and sing and all of that. Um, my parents were always very, it was very important to my parents that we have a lot of extracurricular activities, which I think is common a common thread through a lot of Filipino culture. But um, I, I developed a passion for the arts through, um, through dance first. Um, I danced ballet, I danced jazz mm-hmm. for about 13 or 14 years. Um, I also played the organ for 16 years, and um, I sang. I took vocal lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, I also got into drama and theater when I was in high school and in college. And then the Filipino community would also um, put together these various variety shows as like fundraisers. Mm-hmm. And the, the kids would basically put together the content for the show. So we would choreograph dances. We would do, um, you know, dancing and singing numbers. There would be solos. Um, so it was a, we always had a lot of opportunity to showcase um, the talent in the, in the young Filipino community. So I, I got it, th- like, in school and through the Filipino community and throughout. So I've always, I've always enjoyed that. I like being on stage, the feeling that you get when you're on stage and then you make people happy. It just it feels good. Mm-hmm. So you played the organ for 16 years? I did. Okay, so tell me how, <laughs> how does what a young woman growing up in the Detroit area, mm-hmm. right, get interested in playing the organ yes. of all things? So it's pretty funny, actually. So 
Um, a lot of people in our family play the piano. And that's originally what we were going to do. We were going to take piano lessons. My older brother started playing the organ. Um, and our teacher was part of this larger national like guild of music that did regional competitions and then a national competition every year. And as you would expect, the competition for piano is very steep because everybody plays the piano. But the organ had way fewer participants and that meant that we'd have greater opportunity to win the competitions. Mm -hmm. So it was a strategic choice. <laughs> it was a strategic choice. Yes, it was a strategic choice made by my mother and our instructor. Okay. She wanted us to get those trophies. <laughs> <laughs> and we did. We so did. tell me about that. <laughs> tell me about your your record as an award-winning <laughs> young organist. Right. Okay. So first, um, so we started on one of those old Hammond organs um, that you will see a lot in like jazz, like old jazz concerts. But as time went on, uh, they started really innovating in the organ industry. <laughs> So there were organ industry disruptors yes, back in the day. Yes, so the okay. organs became way more advanced. They were basically like souped up synthesizers with you know, pedals, like a traditional organ, but they were programmable. And oftentimes the sounds were sampled. So mm -hmm. when you hit, when you pressed oboe and you played the keys, it sounded like a real oboe. Mm -hmm. And we played a lot of classical music. So when you're playing and you can program what instrument is going to be heard on the keys, it almost sounds like you're listening to a, sy a symphony, mm -hmm. an orchestra, which is mm -hmm. kind of great, but you can also program drums and stuff like that. So we would do our regional competitions um, once a year, and my brother, my brother and I, and I believe my sister too, we all won like first place in various categories, and we each won national competitions throughout the years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you are a national champion. I am a national champion. One <laughs> woman or one young woman, maybe, yeah. um, orchestra. Mm-hmm. Pretty essentially. much. Essentially. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize that the, the organ industry was yeah. innovating at that rate yes. that it was back in the day. Yes. Well, and it was so expensive to buy those organs, so, and we couldn't okay. afford so we used to have to drive to the studio, the one studio in the Metro Detroit area that would have the organ that would be at competition, huh. the practice time. Okay. So my mother would take us several times a week to go practice on that souped up fancy organ. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you grew up in the Metro Detroit area. Mm -hmm. okay. And um, tell me uh, about the neighborhood that you grew up in mm -hmm. and um, your, and growing up in the Filipino community yes. in that area. Sure. So the Metro Detroit area has a lot of uh, Filipino uh, people living there. My specific part of Metro Detroit was primarily Italian, um, Irish, and Polish Catholic. So there were not a lot of Asian families, let alone Filipino families, in the county that we lived in when I was growing up. Um, in a nearby neighborhood, which is where a lot of my cousins live, my aunts and uncles who are in Metro Detroit, they lived in another part of, of Metro Detroit that had a much higher um, number of Filipino families. So we often spent our weekends in that area. They just basically, you know, reached out to all of the, the kids in the, 
and the cousins and the friends and said, okay, put on a show. Mm -hmm. And um, there was, there were a few musical, like, you know, more elder people in the Filipino community who were piano instructors, voice instructors, and they would assist, you know, the, the kids and making sure everything ran smoothly. But a lot of the, the creative aspect of it, that was all youth run. What do you remember the most mm. about your culture growing up? Oh my God. So my parent, probably what impacted me the most or that I remember the most um, that I would characterize as defining um, is probably the work ethic. Um, my parents were, you know, from that generation where, you know, they came here to the U.S. with nothing um, and they worked really hard and built a really comfortable life for themselves in the United States. And so they always, they always told me that, you know, if you work hard and you want something, you go get it because no one's going to give you anything and nobody owes you anything. So if you work really hard and figure out what it is you want and you know what you want, go get it. And so that to me is probably the most impactful thing that's defined me from, you know, being around a culture of people where that work ethic is very important. Um, I think the sense of family that Filipinos have and the sense of not even just like uh, loyalty to family, but like actually like enjoying your family, mm -hmm. right? Like Filipinos, um, and I, I didn't really start, re I didn't really realize this aspect about Filipino culture until, you know, I became older and I'd meet non-Filipinos who grew up with a Filipino family in their neighborhood. And it was always like, you all, you all have like the best, great food, great parties, you're so welcoming, and you're, you know, you're fun, you're fun to be around. So mm -hmm. um, I think that aspect also has had a big impact on me growing up. I do, I have, a, I work hard, um, that's really important to me, but I also like to show that I enjoy it mm -hmm. and that I'm having fun doing it. Mm -hmm. And having fun at my job is really important. So like getting to combine those two key parts of the identity that really resonates with me throughout right. the years um, is probably, you know, the, the strongest influence. Mm -hmm. Tell me about this whole concept of having fun at your job. So for me, um, the people that I work with are wonderful, fun people. But it also goes even, you know, deeper than just the people. Like I really love what I do at its core. And it took me a long time in my career to feel like yes, I really enjoy this, like this is fun to me. Mm -hmm. So um, I, being into the arts, <laughs> I, um, I, really, I really love the arts and I actually considered studying theater in college, which would not have been acceptable to my family. Mm -hmm. um, and so I went the pre-med route. And you know, in, in all honesty, even though I had a passion for the arts and I performed and I was a, a national champion, I probably maybe wasn't good enough to, to pursue it professionally. Um, well, is there a need for prof uh, professional organists, right? Yeah. Is that how much income could you make in comparison <laughs> right. to being a doctor? Not much. Right. Okay. Yeah. So right. I, I got it. And, and, mm -hmm. and I, uh, but you know, it was a passion. It was something I, I liked 
knowing about and learning about and doing, and I loved the communities that were into all of those things. Um, and so, you know, when I was supposed to go to med school, I um, started to have reservations. I was studying for the MCAT and it just, something didn't feel right. And I was working on campus and a professor from the medical school that I had the opportunity to know through my on-campus job um, came to me and said something along the lines of, you know, I feel like you should reconsider med school. Is that really what you want to do? And I said, yeah, I mean, I think that is what I want to do. That's why I'm studying biology and chemistry. That's why I'm pre-med. And he says, I just feel like with your personality, you could do something else. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar, maybe you, know, maybe you should go to law school. And people, my parents had always joked that maybe I should be a lawyer because I was very argumentative growing up <laughs> as a child. Um, so that thought was always filed away and in there, but um, I never really seriously considered it as, as a career. Um, but when he told me that his son was a patent lawyer and that I should talk to him, I was intrigued. I, didn't, I had no idea what a patent was. I didn't know what a patent lawyer did. So I called his son and we had a conversation and he, he talked to me about intellectual property law, what he does every day, and it sounded perfect. I was like, you work with people who make things, like you protect the things that people create with their minds, with their hearts, with their souls, with their, all their passion. And if I can't be one of those people, I wanna help them. And so that, for me, was the reason why I went to law school. And I think that reason for me is why what I do every day is fun. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's great. And I think it makes a big difference, especially being in-house. You know, I think when people see that you truly enjoy what you do and that you're excited and that, about helping them, um, it just, it, it makes for a better relationship between, you know, the in-house lawyer and the client. Mm -hmm. I think your story about the professor that had guided you in mm -hmm. the right direction, to me, underscores the need for um, young women of color to have mentors. He definitely had enough interaction with me to see something in me and like say something mm -hmm. based on his observations and, and you know, in the, little conver in, in the few conversations that we had together. So mm -hmm. I never, I actually, I can't recall if I ever went back to thank him. Mm -hmm. I probably should. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, we're thanking him now. Yes. Great. <laughs> So um, you went to college and mm -hmm. then you went to law school mm -hmm. and you knew going into law school that you wanted to practice intellectual property. Yes. And I think that is very unique because what I had thought I was going to do after I graduated from law school is different than what I ultimately decided I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And that's different from what I'm doing now. Right. But your thread is consistent. Mm -hmm. Do you think that is um, common in the legal profession? No, maybe. Okay. If, if it is, I think it may happen more so in the IP world. Okay. Um, especially when you're looking at the specific area of, of patent practice, mostly because, you know, if you're, if you're going to be a patent lawyer having a, a hard science or a soft science engineering background is required for the most part. So 
once you're in there, you kind of, you just stay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for me in law school, and I, I, I focused on mostly intellectual property classes, a lot of the patent lawyer group, like they came to law school knowing they were going to be patent lawyers. Um, and I think that's probably unique to that area. I can't think of another area where you would have a similar incidence of that consistent mm-hmm. you know, thread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're, also, you're married to another lawyer. I am. Right? Yes. And how did you meet Phil? Phil. So I, um, we met my first year in college. Okay. And he had already been uh, at the same university for two years. I was really bummed out my first week of college because I wanted to go to the University of Michigan. And I got accepted to the University of Michigan, but Wayne State University gave me a scholarship, a full four year, and I couldn't turn it down. Um, And I, at the time, knew that I was gonna go to medical school, and Wayne State's medical school is fantastic. So that was easy, I'll just do this. So I was kinda, you know, I was was, uh, sitting on campus, I didn't know anyone, it was my first week, and I was just being a grump, just sitting off to the side, and I see Phil walk from the student center to the undergraduate library where he worked. And he just caught my eye. And I don't know what it was about him that caught my eye because he really wasn't my type. I don't even know really what my type was, but he didn't seem like a kind of guy that would catch my eye, but he did. And um, I would, you know, as I would go throughout the rest of my freshman year and I noticed that he would look at me too. So we were obviously catching each other's eye, but nobody would say anything to, like, we wouldn't say anything to each other. And sometimes it was so obvious that we were looking at, like checking each other out, but still nothing. Um, I made some friends with some, some people in my freshman English class, and everybody made fun of me because they knew I had a crush on the library guy, and so, and even the professor. So we had to do a research project, <laughs> and the teacher says during, to the whole class, he says, okay, you're gonna do some group research, um, Christine, this is your opportunity to go talk to the library guy. And I was like, oh, great. I'm like, and this is a group project, research project, so now like, I actually have to go talk to this so guy. So your entire class is entire essentially class, yes. matchmaking you with the library guy. The library guy. Okay. So we, I walk into the library to do research, and I, I, just, I didn't even know how to approach it. I, I walked up to the front desk, because he worked at the information desk, so right when you walk in the doors, he's right there. And I'm like walking towards him and I, he looked up and he saw me, like I could tell he was like, oh my gosh, it's that girl that, you know, we check each other out. And I'm a little disappointed with myself because I never thought I'd be this, this woman, but I played dumb. <laughs> I walked up to him and I said, um, I'm doing a research project on, you know, I had to write a, I had to write a research paper um, comparing a modern sports event with a classic fairy tale. And I'm like, and I explained that to him and he thought it was funny. And he was like, do you know how to use a Dewey Decimal System? And let me show you how to find a book. And his... <laughs> I mean, even... you don't get taught the Dewey Decimal <laughs> System in like your second grade or whatever. Right, right, right. So then he was like, well, why don't you come on back here and sit with me at the desk and I'll help you find some journal articles and and whatever, and it was so obviously over the top because their other female, his female coworkers were just whispering and giggling the whole time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the first time that we met. And then we went on our first date maybe a few weeks later. And we've been together exclusively ever since. Okay. Yeah. Through law school. Through too. college, through the okay. rest of college, through law school. Okay. Yeah. So um, how was it? So you, you recently moved mm-hmm. to Austin from Chicago mm-hmm. uh, for your current role. How, um, because I did something similar about five years ago, I moved from Kansas City to New Jersey. Can you tell me how that discussion happened with mm-hmm. your, you know, with, with Phil and, and how everything kind of works out in yes. terms of like juggling two different careers? Mm-hmm. Sure. So, so my husband, Phil, is also a lawyer. Um, he is basically the general counsel for a small uh, technology company in Chicago. And he mostly worked from home, mm-hmm. which uh, has given us a lot of flexibility. I don't think I would be able to achieve as much as I've achieved without that support. Um, we are both Midwesterners for our, like our entire lives. We've been in Michigan or Chicago. And we started having discussions a few years ago about, you know, let's, this weather is really getting to us. Let's think about moving somewhere warm. And we would just, you know, casually talk about which cities we would, would be acceptable to us to live in. And, you know, California always was a dis- part of the discussion. Denver was always part of the discussion, the Pacific Northwest. And, uh, you know, I said to him, I said, um, if you're serious, like, I will start looking for real. And he said, well, I know when you say that, like, something might actually happen. <laughs> because when you, he knows that once I get onto a thread, like, I don't let go. I just, mm-hmm. I follow it to the end. And he said, yeah, let's do it. So I started very casually looking. And um, I interviewed at a place in Northern California. And uh, Yeti reached out to me. And I was aware of Yeti, um, but I didn't know too much about the company. I I was familiar with the brand and some of their marketing. Um, And I had never been to Austin, but they were looking for somebody to build their IP function. And that's something that I've never done before. Mm -hmm. And so I said to Phil, I'm like, well, Yeti is this exciting company. Um, They want me to build their IP function. it's warm, <laughs> very warm. Um, what do you think? And he said, I feel like this would be the perfect opportunity for you. And I think the kids would love the opportunity to be outside more. Um, and this was also just after we took a trip um, where we lived in a van for a week. So we rented a camper van and just kind of camped around the west, the western part of the U.S. for about 10 days, and that really opened our eyes to the outdoors and being outside. And ever since then, it's something that we, is really important to us as a family. Mm-hmm. So when Yeti reached out, um, as a family, we were like, this could be really great. Like we get to be outside mm-hmm. all the time, all mm-hmm. year round. Um, and so everybody was super supportive, and Phil especially. Mm-hmm. Your family of four, and um, Christina has, and Phil have two young sons. Yes. It's basically, a, you're basically a walking commercial for Yeti. I don't know if you realize <laughs> that or not, but the fact that you, you're outside a lot. Yes. Traveling. Yes. Um, do you hike? We hike a lot. Okay. Yes. All right. So yeah, yeah. Walk, 
walking Yeti <laughs> commercial. Yeah. So Yeti, if you would have, advertising people, if you, this is like just a, maybe not self-promotional for me, but I, I think that you should put the pompous in an ad. <laughs> Because I, I would, if I was a CMO, yeah. right? I would, right. I would. <laughs> but you are also um, a walking advertisement for uh, Filipina leadership, and particularly in-house. Mm -hmm. Well, not let me back up. Not just in-house, but in the practice, mm -hmm. because you were one of the first partners at your firm when you went private practice. Or um, remind me again, the first Asian. The first Asian American female equity partner. Okay, okay, mm -hmm. and then you decided to go in house, mm -hmm. and then you decided to go to a different place in house, yep. right? But um, I think as a Filipina in house attorney, especially, um, it requires a lot of bravery because that path isn't one that we. Is, isn't laid out for us. Mm -hmm. So can you think, can you talk a little bit about sure. that particular path? What motivates you to, um, what motivated you to go in-house mm -hmm. first and foremost, and then what motivated you to really be tenacious mm -hmm. about um, following the path that you did? Mm -hmm. um, so I never, thought that I was going to go in-house when I started my career. I, I, I really believed I was going to be at Fitch Even, the law firm where I started and spent 12 years. I really thought I was going to be there for my whole career. Um, it, was a, it was a difficult and challenging path for sure. Um, but I, over time, I you know, developed the right relationships with, with the right people and established myself as a leader at the firm. And I really, I enjoyed the work. I really did. I loved working for a variety of different clients in different industries. I loved honing the technical skills. I loved having really in-depth um, conversations about legal issues in the IP world. And I was in an IP boutique, so like we would get, we would go deep. Um, but the idea was always in the back of my mind, but I, it needed to be the right opportunity for me to really give it a shot because I didn't want to. I didn't want to blow what I had spent, you know, twelve years trying to achieve. Um, because you know, I, I was on the. I, I became an equity partner. Um, the next, you know, level would have been getting on the executive committee, maybe becoming the managing partner for the law firm, um, and so I got lucky in a way. It was all timing. Um, I had done a lot of outside, I, I've done, I had done a lot of work for Kraft Heinz um, as an outside lawyer for most of my career. So I had represented Kraft for maybe 12 years. Um, their chief patent counsel resigned and they needed somebody to, to fill in part-time. And they wanted somebody a little bit senior, so they, they didn't want an associate. They wanted somebody, either a senior associate or a partner, who could just come in and just handle things, make decisions. Um, they also wanted to, well, my firm at the time wanted to pick somebody who could help build the relationship because there were some new hires in the legal department, new leadership mm -hmm. in the legal department, and we wanted to maintain the relationship that we had. So um, they, they picked me. 
I had some bandwidth. I had just gotten off a big litigation that was taking up most of my life for three years. And I, I gave it a shot. So, you know, t two to three days a week, I would go sit at, um, at Kraft and I would be their patent lawyer. And I learned very quickly and it was easy because I already knew the R&D folks because I'd already worked with them for, for years. Um, it, I did not realize how different it would be to work with the business inside the business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my former experience was I'd come visit and we would talk about an invention or we would, you know, go through a patent application or whatever it is, and, or we would do it by phone. And it was always very targeted, very specific. Like my reason for being here to meet with the business was we have to talk about X. We have to talk about Z. Um, when I was seconded, and I think because, you know, we got to shortcut the getting to know you part, I instantly became, it was more like people just started coming to me and asking me a variety of questions um, all day. Mm -hmm. And at first it was a little bit alarming because when you're an outside lawyer and you have to be very precise and you have to be very technically accurate, um, I was uncomfortable giving advice. So I was in the beginning, I was always like, well, let, I'm, I'm going to get back to you. Let me, I'm going to get back to you. And then I would like do outside counsel level research to get back to people until eventually, and luckily the, um, the deputy GC at the time, who was the person who ended up hiring me, he said 80, 20, right? Like it's, you can't get them all right. Um, but we can't sell the business down. He's like, not mm -hmm. everything needs a plus effort. And I was like, that's as an outside lawyer, you're like, this is, this doesn't <laughs> seem absurd. right. <laughs> People pay for A plus effort. Um, and I just, you know, being in that, being live and being in the business and advising people on the fly like that, um, I started to really, really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And being involved and seeing parts of the process that I had never really seen before, so very early on in the de product development process, um, that was just really cool. And then you see the products launch and there's just this sense of accomplishment that I wasn't getting at the law firm. Mm -hmm. So um, I told the, the deputy GC that I, I was having a, a good time, that I was enjoying this. And he said, well, we could make this legit and you can come over full time. And you know, I wasn't, I wasn't sure, I had some hesitations, um, but I figured if, if I was gonna get a chance, this was the chance. Like I had already kind of tested the waters. I already knew the clients. I already knew the legal team. I knew who my boss would be. So for me, it was a very low risk situation. Um, and when I told the law firm that I was leaving to go to Kraft, I was going to a client. And while they were upset that I was leaving, they they told me that if it if it didn't work out, I could always come back. So it, like it truly was a zero risk proposition for me. So I was like, let's do it. And um, to be, honestly, I don't think I could go back to being a law firm lawyer. I really truly enjoy it being in house. Being in house is practicing law in a completely different way. Yes. Than like you mentioned, than uh, being at a firm. I for me. There are a lot of soft skills. There's a lot of, frankly, there's a lot of intuition mm -hmm. 
um, and judgment mm -hmm. that you have to bring to your job. Mm -hmm. You may not get everything right, but you're not paid to get everything right, mm -hmm. right? Can you tell me a little bit about your experience working? Yes, yes. Um, that is, so um, one of my, my former manager um, told me once that he's like, look, you, you're not gonna, exactly what you just said. You're not, we, you're not here to get everything right. Um, you're here to, to promote the business and move the business forward. Um, you know when you need to phone a friend and get the right answer, but your technical skills in this role are less important than your soft skills. He said, um, you know, I want to build a legal team that is sought out by the business. I want a legal team that doesn't um, scare the business. They don't want people to work behind our backs. They want they want the business to truly feel like we are partners and we're not here to tell you you can't do something. We're here to tell you how you can do something. And so, you know, he said to me that one of the main reasons why I think you're right for this role is I, I think you can turn around that perception. And, um, you know, and I think that, it, and to me, like to me, it's just, it's just natural to want to help people. <laughs> and so, um, I hate saying no, <laughs> but sometimes I have to say no. Um, and I don't say no unless I really have to, but I, I want to work with people to figure out like, okay, well maybe we can't do it this way, but maybe we can do it this way. This is maybe a less risky way. Um, but the soft skills, I, you know, I think you're right. I, I think when you are really good at building relationships with the people that you are serving and building trust, um, people will just start implementing you into their everyday decision making and to me that is like the ultimate of success as an in-house lawyer when you know when i have a category manager who says to me i don't make any major decisions without my ip lawyer and my maybe my finance person next to me like that is to me that success like mm -hmm. that's why that's huge that's huge when you go to bed thinking I helped the business launch X, Y, or Z, or I helped them make the decision that was that's right for the business, and the biz and a and a decision that is one of integrity yep. for the whole business and not just for yourself. Exactly. To me, I think that's really that is rewarding. Uh, yeah, it's rewarding, but it's also the mark um, yeah. of of a leader. Yeah, I I mean I I, I love that, and um, at Yeti, you know, we are growing so fast and we're it's you know it's it, it has a lot of early success and we're trying to keep that going but we're growing and we're building this business while it is moving at a ridiculous pace and so you know that's challenging but like everyone wants to do the right thing and everyone's super passionate about the brand mm -hmm. and our products and the industry that we're in and so when like the, when, when you have that kind of culture, the accomplishments feel even more, like they're just, it's, it's, it's enhanced, right? So when we have wins, we win as a team, it's, it's wonderful. Like they, 
they truly reach out to me for every step of the way, and it's it's really great. Mm -hmm. So. I just have a couple more questions. Okay. These are actually about um, the Filipino-American legal community. Excellent. So could, what do you think as Phil-Am attorneys in general mm -hmm. and um, women, Panay women, we can do, especially, um, well, I'm not young, <laughs> you are, perennially young looking, <laughs> but you're an experienced attorney. Yeah. Right. What can, what do you think we should do to help um, lift other uh, Filipina attorneys and Filipino attorneys mm -hmm. up in the profession? Um, I think that the most important thing to do is to really strive for professional success in your field. Because um, unless we get there, we can't help everyone else get there too, right? So we all need to strive to be in the room. We gotta work hard to be in the room. And that's not always easy. But for those of us that are already up at those levels, we've gotta keep striving for professional success. Um, I think mentorship is very important, especially for attorneys of color. I did not have at my law firm, any attorneys of color to really look up to. Um, and so I, I got mentorship wherever I could get it. And so I think that's really important. Um, I think supporting organizations that have, that, that support attorneys of color and women of color um, are very important. And breaking down the misperceptions that people have about Asian Americans, I think is very important, but doing it in a way that doesn't backfire, right? Like I. Mm -hmm. I'm all for being authentic and honest. Like if something upsets you, do it, like speak up. But I think there's a way to do it um, that doesn't, you know, after we're trying to advance, right? So we, to advance, we, we, we speak up and we're honest, but we do it in a way that doesn't damage the relationships that you've built on your path up that ladder. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm a believer, I'm a big relationship person. And for me, at least I believe in my career, my ability to build relationships with people was really the key to my success. And so I turn to relationships to basically, I think that's the key for me to be uh, supportive of other attorneys of color is to use those relationships to support others. And, you know, I, I tend to find that you know, a lot of times in our various communities, there's a lot of focus on the differences between us all. And those differences are important. I don't ignore those. But um, I, I like to try to illustrate, and not in a direct way, but indirectly in people's interactions with me, like we really are all very similar. And I think that is more powerful um, to people who are not of color to see, oh, I, you know, they may have had these, you know, per, uh, preconceived notions that there are really more differences between us and them, but really there aren't as many. And mm -hmm. I think that is, I think that's the way to go about it because you, you get to, when you build relationships with the majority, um, it's easier to 
may change. Mm -hmm. I also think that if you build relationships with um, allies, yes, that those you feel more comfortable. Yes, in reminding the allies, you're an ally. Mm -hmm. I have expectations of you as an ally yes. to do the right thing. Right. And it's easier for you to have those conversations mm -hmm. with someone who's in a leadership position if you have a good relationship with yes, them. Yes, absolutely. And that they know that you're telling them this, not because of just of, of hey, I want a promotion, right? but because they trust that you are telling them to do the right thing yes. for themselves too. Mm -hmm. Right, so. right. Well, um, first and foremost, I want to thank you so much thank for you. your time. And um, I appreciate you so much uh, being with us and part of our Enfala community. Thank you. Thanks, Christine. You've been listening to In the Pocket, a podcast brought to you by the National Filipino American Lawyers Association. Many thanks to Christine Pompa for joining us. We hope that you're staying safe, healthy, and remember, we're here for you should you need anything at all. If you'd like to learn more about Enfala, please go visit us on Facebook or go to Enfala.com, and we'll see you very, very soon.